The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, Bitcoin's gone wild, soaring past 11,000 and then plunging nearly 20%, almost an intraday bear market before rebounding once again. So, what does this all mean? Our resident Bitcoin expert, BK, will break it down and make a trade live on air. Plus, American Airlines facing some turbulence today after a major misstep from the company put all of its holiday travel at risk. We'll tell you how bad it could get. And later, there's a retail stock that's down 15% this year. And Pete here says it's the perfect bargain buy. He will explain why. But first, we start off with war. It's been the ultimate tug of war in the market this year between growth and value. And we saw it come to a head today as growth stocks like technology got absolutely crushed. Value stocks like financials and telecom soared. A reversal of the trend we have seen for most of this year. So as we head into the end of the year, if you're putting new money to work now, what is the better bet? Surging growth or lagging value? Guy. Still think there's room to go in retail. And, you know, we'll start. If, that, if that's surging growth, then I'm, I'm a believer in that. So I think the retail trade still works. Tim's been talking about Macy's. Look at the last week or so. And look at Nordstrom since earning. I still think there's some upside there. With that said, technology that has sold off, you know, Pete will say this and he'll be right. Every time you've seen a sell-off of this magnitude, people will say, you know, it's sort of different this time. There's something going on. And each time it's proven to be buying opportunity. In my world, the best one shakes out to be Google. And if you look at valuation, if you look at all the things they've done, if you look at last quarter, I think Google's getting lumped in with everybody else. So I would buy Google on this dip. What do you think, Beeks? Well, for me, it all comes down to rates. I mean, the market showed today, and it's shown many times, that it's highly sensitive to increasing rates. So, you know, that we go back to this equity risk premium or what price you'll pay for stocks giving a certain level of interest rates. And you saw it today. The high P.E. stocks got hit as rates went higher. So going into the end of the year, you know, I, I'm making a bet that I think rates are, are headed higher at this point in time. So, you know, as a hedge to your portfolio, you can either be long TBT or you could probably buy the financials here. They had a great day today, and I think they keep running. Yeah, although, I mean, the move in rates today, I think, is, is a little puzzling, frankly, because, I mean, yeah, we got a great GDP number. We pieced together the two consecutive quarters of, of the best GDP growth probably since 2014. Uh, we have a case to be made that the fourth quarter could be stronger. I get all that. Um, and I think rates need to go higher, and I agree that the Fed is my biggest fear out there. But if, if I think about what happened today, it was absolutely allocation. And you can see that even in things like the TBT, which is when you're getting long the long end of the curve, which moved disproportionately to the move in long rates, frankly. It's one of the reasons why I stay away from these things, because I, I, I don't think they are representative. But if you look at what's going on in the, in the transports, again, Dow theorists, Mel. I mean, these are folks that are believing that if financials and transports are rallying, they are leading indicators of the economy, and they're moving everything higher. Today was a day I think you have to fear the divergence we saw between the NASDAQ and small caps. There's strange stuff going on in the market, uh, and I think there's more to come before the end of the year. You know, when I look at the FANG names, not one of them is down 10% from their highs. 
So is there an opportunity yet? I don't think there is yet. I'd like to see a little bit further pullback, quite frankly. Yes, there's a little bit of a pullback. And you look at something that's down 4 5 6 $16, depending that on what it is. That implies that you think that there is going to be a further pullback. Uh, it implies that that would be my next entry point that I would have. If okay. And I'm in many of these names. So I'm already in a Micron. I'm in Microsoft. I'm in Apple. I'm in a m multiple of these names. So... But I would be adding to it if we, if I see that kind of a signal. Otherwise, this is just a little bit of, it's moving around, it's rotation. We've talked about it all through 2017. Right. Suddenly, you look at the financials, you start to look at some of the other names. I mean, the healthcare stocks. Look, look at a name like Humana. Look at some of these names that have United Healthcare. I mean, it's a, you, it's a you are, beast. Yeah, United Healthcare, another one that absolutely lifting all, everybody else with them. And meanwhile, as the financials are settling down a little bit, those are picking up. And I tell you what. I have never seen as much paper in the financials as I have over the last two or three trading days. It's absolutely amazing how much paper we've seen in the options world. So I shouldn't be spooked by this uh, big decline in FANG across the board today's session. You know, I, I bumped into Kramer at the New York Stock yep. Exchange this morning. He was like, Remember that FANG ETF that just launched? Maybe that was Boom. the sign of the top. I mean, yeah. <laughs> literally, those are the kinds of questions you got to ask yourself but, because this was yeah. fairly scary. I mean, it seemed quiet on the surface. Yep. But this rotation was pretty fair. I think the reality of that is this. The people who own Facebook, own Apple, own, you know, you go through yeah. the list of the names. And I'm not just talking Fang. You can expand it a little bit further. They're all the same folks. And so if they are rolling out of some positions going into year end, maybe they're doing some of that. I think if, if we see these 10% pullbacks, that's an opportunity. The only reason I don't like chips to buy them right this minute is... Many of those names, Micron, it's up 100% year-to-date. Mm. You look over at Applied Materials, up 65% year-to-date. These pullbacks aren't enough to say, hey, these are pulling back from where they were when they hit highs a month ago. These names haven't absolutely you know, pulled back to the point where you go, I just got to own them. Yeah, I mean, we've had this conversation probably three or four times this year with this rotation. Yes. You get a little bit of a rate scare, and then there's the rotation into the financials, and you can buy the fangs again, right? I'm with people, though, I think you, know, you might get a little bit more of a rate scare here, but remember, as we start start to get up towards 3% in the 10-year, then the market's going to start saying, hey, wait a second, maybe the Fed isn't behind the curve. Maybe the Fed isn't going to be as aggressive as everybody thought. And that's probably when you want to start buying the FANG stocks. When, they, when, they're, when it looks ugly and you feel like you want to throw up on your shoes, that's when you want to buy FANG. 3% is a big runway from here. It is so, a big runway. So but every 10% every pullback begins with a 2% pullback, begins with a 3% pullback. So how do we know that this isn't the start of that? You don't know. I mean, but, but every opportunity, you know, we talked about this at the top of the show. Every time everybody says it's different this time well it hasn't been different this time for the last eight years but then you look at situations like look at amat for example we talked about this stock last week it pushed up to sixty dollars we said you know what Great company, great run, great quarter, not enough. Double top from 1999. And look at what AMAT has done since, down 7.5% with the rest of the space. There's a stock that might be in trouble in the short term. That's a name that's gone from basically 30 to 60 wow. in the blink of an eye. I'm going to ask the flip side of that question that I just said. How do you know it's not the beginning of something bigger? If we can put up that chart once again, this shows the NASDAQ and what it's been doing. And every single dip... And we haven't had that many dips, right, of more than a percent this year on any index. Every dip has been an opportunity to buy. Well, you don't wait for that 10 percent. You had to go for that one. Although we've got 10 percent in individual names. I'll give you a yeah, great example. True. We've that's had true. the Home Depots of the world. That's we've true. had the Apples of the world. We've had names where they've pulled back a full 10 percent. That's been a great opportunity. The other ones, these have been very, very shallow pullbacks. When it goes in a multitude of stocks, it makes it look like it seems, oh, my goodness, the whole world's going down. But these have been all shallow, quite frankly. I just, you know, think about what we've had this week. Again, we, we've had a Fed that's let you know that I think, if anything, you have continuity and you have 
it, it, for lack of, until proven otherwise, it's dovishness. And then we have this whole tax thing. I mean, we talked about this yesterday. You have a case where, if nothing else, it looks like the team that can't fly straight is starting to get on the same page. doesn't really matter. Of course you're going to see financials outperform. Of course you're going to see retail outperform. Of course you're going to see the rotation. And they're not going to do that intraday. I mean, literally, you will see guys begin to make adjustments going into year end. And I think the volatility that you're seeing here is a natural thing. Also, see, look at the moves that we had in Amazon and Facebook over the last week or two. They hit fresh highs. We've taken the top off the TP. And, and that shouldn't be a surprise. We've seen this rotation. Yes, top off the TP. I've never, I've heard, never that heard that expression. I've never heard that whatsoever. Well, think I about what a TP looks like. Yeah, thank you. I no. didn't think Just a TP had a top. Isn't the top open so the smoke can come out? I, you I know, think it I'll leave that for others. I mean, anyway, I'm not an expert in the season. Anyway, okay, let's move on here. Let's bring in Tony Dwyer, Chief Market Strategist at Canaccord Genuity. I will not ask you, Tony, about TPs. Thank you. Um, yeah. But in terms of this, this notion of the rotation, is this a rotation that you respect, meaning that you go with this rotation out of technology into the likes of financials? Well, here's one, here's one of the reasons that I think we're, on, we're actually on a correction call that's been wrong for the last percent and a half or so. And the reason is when we, when we initially increased our target this year to 2470 early in, in March, and, and reiterated and got, has, have gone up a little bit since. It's because the Citigroup Economic Surprise Index was so low. So many people were calling for the economy to collapse, and we were saying that a lot of those headwinds that have been with the cycle during this cycle have become tailwinds. You now have global growth. You now have a lower dollar positively impacting earnings. You have increased capital spending plans, increased incomes. All those things were really good, and expectations were really low. What makes this one a little bit different is that Citigroup Economic Index has economic surprise index has spiked. So that creates an opportunity to disappoint the market that we haven't had for most of this year. So that said, let's go with the baseline. One of the fears that I hear from everybody is the flattening yield curve. If you look at the two-year to 10-year U.S. Treasury yield curve spread, and you look at the first time in the last three cycles that you hit 60 basis points, which we did last week, your median gain was 63% over 1,000 days later. Your worst case gain was 36% over the course of two and a half years. So that's your baseline. So when you think about whether you can have But we haven't have been this flat on the yield curve in, in, in a decade, Tony, right? Correct, I mean, since so the last cycle. There, are, there aren't so, too since many the last instances cycle. to measure that off of, in other words, yeah, right? But that's what, if you're looking at a flattening yield curve, I think that the mistake that some may make, not that BK would make a mistake, he's going to do a trade later on TV, um, <laughs> is that, <laughs> that's the two things. I, listen, I make mistakes all the time. It shocks but, me every but, time <laughs> I make it, but, but I do still I don't still think make the yield on the 10 years going to 3%. If you're gonna, if you're the Fed and you're raising rates because inflation expectations are right. going up, the with long growth, end's gonna flatten. What does that do to long-term inflation expectations? It dampens them. Mm -hmm. So the 10-year stays flat, and that's why the Fed ends up inverting the curve. They would rather go into a recession than risk hyperinflation. So I don't think that the 10-year is going to 3%. We think it's going to stay around here. The Fed follows their dot plot. They invert the curve in second or third quarter of next year. And that is when you get the correction that we're talking about, like a real good 10 percenter. That's what happens. And then you got to buy that because, again, the rally is much longer. OK, Tony. So today was you know, essentially tech versus everything else. Obviously, tech getting sold. Yeah. Uh, what in that everything else do you like the most? Uh, retails had a major breakout here. Do you stay there? I, I think that you're going to get a little bit of a drop in the bond yield. So I think actually based on that correction call, you get a little bit of lift in the bond surrogate trade. You get some more of the short covering in retail, maybe live a little bit in energy. And again, the banks are the two sectors that do the best when the yield curve is flattening from where it is today to when it inverts is financials 
and information technology. So like I said, I, I think you could have a little bit more weakness in technology. And I've said this so many times on the show. You never, ever, 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 ever want to get negative in a fundamentally driven bull market until well after you invert the curve. It's not whether you can have a correction. The correction so is still a long So mid-next year, the yield curve inverts, but you stay long the markets through that inversion. Totally. You ha the history commands it. You've not peaked a cycle on an inversion of the curve in a levered economy in the last three cycles. So if you want to bet it's different this time, like so many people have this cycle, have at it. I'm going to go with the human nature trade and the history trade. No, and in fact, it, we, we've seen the ISMs, we've seen the consumer, we've seen the, the, the services and the manufacturing side of ISM. We're essentially at highs, and the divergence with, with GDP is very little. In other words, we're probably going higher on GDP. We're, we're going high, and you're going to have, here's what will probably happen too, Tim, is you're going to get a rollover in the PMIs like some other strategists have been looking for. Finally, you're going to get it. It's, you're going to have the peak growth in the PMIs because those tailwinds, Everybody knows them. In March, when we were talking synchronized global recovery, you were doing the same thing, Tim. You and I were sitting next to, yep. next to each other on the set talking about it. Nobody was talking about a global synchronized recovery. They were talking about Brexit, the Trump trade failing. Now everybody's talking about it. So you get better growth and a rolling over of rate of change creates a correction opportunity. So basically, the bottom line here, Tony, is you see an inversion of the yield curve coming. You stay long no matter how scared, no matter how worried, no matter how much fear you have. That's correct. Through the inversion. significantly overweight right. those sectors that have done the best, mm -hmm. maybe neutralize it for the very near term, okay. look to get in, because to quote my friend Pete, hey. hashtag giddy up. Yep. <laughs> Where it's a long way left until well after you invert the curve. Well said. Tony, yeah. good to see you. Nice. Great. Tony Dwyer. Thanks for Hashtag idiot. <laughs> Hashtag guy. Re well, retail still works. You know, we're talking about it. And you got to look at names that have a lot of room given the sell-offs they've seen. We talked about Nordstrom's. Look at the move in Nordstrom since they reported. And Dollar Gen, we talked. Pete talked Dollar Tree, I think, okay. last week. We mentioned Dollar Gen. Those stocks are working as well. I think DG at 52 week high today. So if you think the retail rally is over, I would suggest you're probably in the early innings. What did you do today, Pete? You know, I bought a lot of different financials, added to a lot of positions along the way. I, I, Citi, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, all new, new or added to. Humana is one of the names also that I put. What's your biggest financial position right now? Excuse me? What's your biggest financial uh, position? Bank, Bank of America by far. Okay. Uh, but I, I like the leverage of what I'm seeing right now in City as well. But, you know, I also had an opportunity to sell off something. You know, we talk about the, the tech getting killed today. Nuance and some of these other names that came out. We had unusual activity in some of these. We got the lift take them off and move on. I am not married to any of these positions. I'm only married to my wife. The rest of these, I can go in and out. And it's, <laughs> thank you for coming. I'm sure she's yeah, happy to hear that. You're only married to one thing. At least you wife. think so. Right. Good job. <laughs> well, so listen, for me, the one thing that I think we, we all talked about here is you have this under the current volatility. And so I'm looking for something in the financials because they, see, they, they really took off today. That also does well in a higher volatility, high dispersion type of area. So to me, I'm looking right at Goldman Sachs, right? It's got all the tailwinds that you need. They should be doing better. Their trading business should do, be doing better when there's volatility and when there's volatility in the bond market as well. So to me, that's where you be. Very happy to take 25% out of Macy's, which has been a mm. big run. It's up 35% in the last month. Um, nibbled more back in airlines. They're starting to work again. Rails, transports. All right, coming up, Bitcoin's gone nuts, hitting record highs and then crashing, then soaring. It's like a parody of a Katy Perry song. Brian Kelly, our resident Bitcoin expert and Katy Perry fan, will make a cryptocurrency trade live on the air. Is he buying or selling? 
Stick around to find out. Plus, Electronic Arts launched a Star Wars game that's sparking major outrage in the gaming world, and the gaming stocks are paying the price. We will explain why. And later, Pete here has been on fire with his fast pitches, and there's one beaten down name he says is a screaming buy right now. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The airline surging today that kicks off our top trades, lifting the whole group of transports, in fact, which are having their best day in more than a year. Delta, United, JetBlue, Southwest all taking off. But take a look at American Airlines today. The stock sinking after a company-wide glitch has left thousands of flights around the holidays without pilots to fly the planes, Tim. Yeah, and, and obviously this is a little bit different than just a glitch where there's a lot of delayed flights. This right. is clearly something that has people thinking twice. Um, I, I think ultimately there's going to be certainly some detail on this. I think this is probably an opportunity by underperformance of American. American and, and Delta, to me, are the names that I think have the most operational leverage in this environment. And I think both have proven that they're able to do it. In fact, I would be buying weakness uh, in, in American here. I have a nice full position in Delta and in United. But again, with the airlines, it's about efficiency and how they're running their business. And right now, these guys have shown that they're worst, They're through the worst of the perception. And I think you stay there. One of the bigger reasons behind the big, the broad uh, pop in the, in the group is UBS was very bullish today saying that they think that a lot of the carriers are going to actually revise higher yeah. their Q4 Prasms, Tim, passenger yes. broken record. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you're saying it today. I'm, I'm a broken well, record but, on Prasms. But look at look at what the airlines have done really since August, July, August, right? I mean, they've traded kind of in this big, wide range. So I don't, I, I, I get it. I don't think it's you don't have to go and chase these things on these breakouts because it's going to take a very big fundamental change to get things to these, these things to break out of their range. So to me, it's still a range trade. I don't dislike them, but I'd rather be buying them on their lows when people don't like them and try to play that kind of you know big wide range that's been out there since July. I think quickly, Delta, you have about 11% EPS growth, maybe a tad more, especially if they're going to you know, start raising numbers. And the trades are like nine and a half, ten times forward earnings. So I hear what BK is saying. They have been in a range, but this might be the beginning of that breakout in Delta specifically, which if it breaks through 56, which is about 8% from here, I think it's off to the races. So Delta sets up pretty well. All right, next up here, the gaming stocks getting slammed today as Electronic Arts Star Wars Battlefront 2 game has created a major controversy for the industry. The Star Wars game launched with a pay-to-play format where gamers had to pay additional charges after paying for the game itself. The company turned off the in-game purchases after gamers expressed outrage. But despite the drama, these stocks are all up a ton this year. Take-Two is up 122%, Activision Blizzard up 64%, EA up 30%. Uh, do you keep buying these names or do you think perhaps, I mean, there are some investigations into that Star Wars game because the price for the game itself was actually fairly high. Well, and there's enough negative sentiment out there right now that you would see after you've seen those runs. I mean, we talked about the runs in the, in the semi world, but how about these runs? I mean, these stocks have absolutely taken off to the upside. So does it make sense that they might even get a little bit further pullback? I think some of the valuations start to get kind of interesting, but I think we we still have... 10, 15% we could still drop back before they really get appetizing. Yeah, I mean, it's EA, man. If, if it doesn't hold 104, 105, I mean, it, it takes the elevator down significantly. Yeah. And, I, and there's no reason to jump in here again with a stock that's trading about 30 times, it, which is getting to be value territory, right. but not here. Yeah. 104 was the low it made in July before it went to basically 122, but it's been basically rolling over ever since that. And to Tim's point, 
Breaks 104, you have a beeline to 95, which if you go back to May, that's where we shot up from. So my world, it's got to hold this 104 level. For but it's sure. not a bad risk-reward here if you can be quick on the trigger, right? So you know that if it breaks 104, that's where you're going to be out of it. Maybe you give it a half a buck or something like that. But, it, you know, if you're a trader and you want to try to play this, the bottom of this range, I actually think it's not a bad stab here. I mean, are we going to get a seasonal lift from the holidays? We're going to get some you headline, sure so. right, about consoles selling off the shelves, yep. and these stocks are going to pop. Absolutely. And if you believe that, the best way to do it is the options world. I mean, we talk about volatility. You're talking about with Goldman Sachs. You said volatility come back in the market. Let's look at the VIX itself. We are still talking about a VIX under 11. We've been between the 10 and 12. We've been a little underneath 10. But the volatility really hasn't been there. Options are very inexpensive in some of these names. Still ahead, the CEO of AT&T said something about the Time Warner deal that had shareholders going nuts. We'll hear him from him in his own words. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Bitcoin is crashing. I mean, surging. I mean, crashing. I mean, surging. I'm confused. Don't be. Because resident Bitcoin guru Brian Kelly says he knows exactly what's going on and how to profit. Plus, Pete's bringing the heat, pitching one beaten down stock that's down 15% this year, but may have turned a corner. The name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin enthusiasts celebrated earlier today as the cryptocurrency surged way past the $10,000 mark, topping $11,000 this morning. But then about three seconds later, a butterfly in Asia flapped its wings and the <laughs> cryptocurrency crashed in the afternoon. Bitcoin briefly fell below $9,000, erasing over $2,000 worth of its value in just a few hours and putting it briefly, ever so briefly, in bear market territory. But this is... Bitcoin, man, so relax. The cryptocurrency did regain some of those losses, still up 915% year-to-date. Now, BK is going to live trade Bitcoin later on. He's going to tell us if he's buying or selling later. But in the meantime, we just want to know now what was behind the big moves today. Well, so you had a tremendous amount of volume, right? We had this massive euphoria. If you just look at the Bitcoin chart, it's not immune from fear and greed, right? It's going to act like any other asset class out there. And so you had this massive amount of euphoria. You had a lot of volume coming in near the highs, and a lot of the exchanges couldn't handle the volume. They had eight times the volume that they had back in May and June when, they were t when we were talking about all-time highs then. So the exchanges went down. The buy orders disappeared, and you had these, these big, wild swings. I mean, this is not for the faint of heart. This is not an easy trade for folks, and I think actually today kind of proved that. Um, but once the exchanges came back up, you saw this thing rebound. So it's kind of like the weather in New England. You know, you wait a while. If you don't like it, it'll change. Can I ask you a stupid question? You can ask me any kind of question. There like are no a, stupid like questions. Like Coinbase, for instance, was tweeting that it was having difficulties processing orders and taking orders, et cetera. But um, when that happens... I mean, there are buyers and there are sellers. So why, I mean, it's not that the orders that they take in favor sellers over buyers. So what, so there was still a predominantly, predominant number of sellers in the market versus buyers causing this decline of 20% intraday. So, no? so yes, it, it, right before the exchanges all went down, Bitcoin had already come off as high. Right. So one would presume that the volume coming in, the sellers were more aggressive. Obviously, for every sale, there's a buyer out there. Now, what I think is kind of interesting is Bitcoin trading is dominated by Asian trading, Korea and Japan being the biggest traders. Mm -hmm. When you saw the U.S. exchanges go down, you saw the buyers kind of disappear, or at least that buy pressure disappear, which would suggest there's a disconnect between the U.S., which may be more bullish on Bitcoin, and perhaps some of the Asia exchanges and Asian traders were selling it.
This makes me scared. I mean, if I were just sitting on the sidelines, I knew nothing about Bitcoin except what I was reading in the newspapers, and I saw this sort of intraday volatility, uh, I would be But why scared. would you be scared by this intraday vol when you've had intraday vol from inception? And, and, and ultimately, mm -hmm. it, what Brian is talking about is an infrastructure issue where ultimately it's not for lack of demand. It's not for people lacking uh, you know, conviction in, in, in crypto. Um, I think the reality is that there is a funnel that all this money is trying to press through. And in fact, I think there's limited capacity. This is the one issue. This is why people are so excited about futures, because it will allow synthetic volume to go through this market right now. All right. Well, despite today's drop, if you're still looking to get in on Bitcoin, you'll soon be able to do just that on Ooh. another major market. Tim sort of teased it. Bob Bassani is over at the NYSE to break it all down. Hey, Bob. Hello, Melissa. What's exciting investors is the expanding derivatives market for cryptocurrencies. That's adding some much-needed legitimacy. So last month, for example, LedgerX, this is an institutional trading and clearing platform, began trading Bitcoin options. That was a big move. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the CBOE, and today the NASDAQ announced that they're all set to roll out Bitcoin futures soon. This is more good news. Bitcoin futures will enable traders to short Bitcoin. That's a welcome development. Here's another piece of good news. With the past of time, what we're seeing here is more platforms, more participants, more maturity for cryptocurrencies in general. Here's the question. Does this make Bitcoin more valid? The SEC seems to be saying not necessarily. There have been several attempts to create Bitcoin ETFs this year, and they've all been turned down by the SEC. They regulate ETFs. So here's the issue for the SEC. They say Bitcoin is an unregulated market. And because of that, they won't be able to enter any surveillance agreements between other relevant agencies like the CFTC to monitor this. So you can't really blame the SEC for being a bit worried here. If Bitcoin is unregulated, as they say, in their eyes, it would be subject to manipulation and fraud. And giving an exposure to a regulated market like the ETF business exposes the SEC to a lot of potential problems. So here's the issue. What would it take to be a regulated market? It's possible that establishing a futures market might go a long way toward addressing the issue, perhaps. But think about this. Bitcoin itself was sort of designed to be unregulated. While the blockchain's not been hacked, platforms supporting the cryptocurrencies have been hacked. And no one is necessarily regulating all those groups. So you can see why the SEC is concerned about this. And, Melissa, I anticipate some of these ETF companies will refile with the SEC, though, on this news, hoping that the news around the futures market right. may be enough for the SEC. Okay, Bob, thanks so much. And we did see right. some pretty interesting moves among the exchanges themselves in today's session. Um, initially, we had the CBOE, the CME, as well as the NASDAQ on the heels of the NASDAQ news that is launching, launching its own futures product uh, in the second half or the first half of next year. They all actually intraday hit a fresh record high and then pulled off of that. Um, and, and that was because anything that touched Bitcoin. Anything, you know, it, it's was great. It, it, exactly. And it, it, you know, scarily reminds me of the 90s when people used to announce, hey, we have a website and their stock would rip up five or 10 percent. What you're seeing in the equity markets now, you mentioned that you have Bitcoin or somebody at your, your company read about Bitcoin and all of a sudden, boom, you're a Bitcoin stock. It's a little ridiculous. These guys, though, actually, when you took a Nasdaq, CME, CBOE, they're actually trading the product. They're going to have they're going to get some revenue from this. So it does make a bit of sense. You know, and I think there's other products to come uh, on the way here. And I would say in terms of the CBOE, I mean, I, the volumes, I'm always focused on volumes, right? Sure. We talk about the stock volumes all being a little bit lower than they once were, and are they ever going to come back? Well, they are. They have come back in the options world fast, and they are huge. As a matter of fact, just the other day, 23 million. We've had five days 
this month already where he traded over 20 million option contracts. So this is just one more thing I think is this could be a great tool for people to use the derivatives market to trade in that mm -hmm. whole world. Absolutely. I just think people are looking to trade. And, yes. and this is offering yeah. either direction. This doesn't even mean that people are going to get right. long. They're going to be trading this oh, thing. Traders. That's, yeah. It's That's an inefficient market right now. People yeah. love that. All right. Yeah. We've got a news alert out of D.C. Let's get to Elon Moy with more. Elon. Melissa, the Senate is voting to begin official debate on the Republican tax plan. This vote is happening a little bit later than we thought, but it is important because assuming that it does pass, it would start the countdown clock toward a final vote on the bill. Republicans would have 20 hours of debate, and then that would be followed by some time to debate amendments, and then they could take that final vote. Now, uh, Senator Hatch, uh, who is the chairman of the Finance Committee, said that he hopes that final vote will come by Friday. President Trump has said he is ready to sign the bill once it passes. So again, if this passes, uh, Republicans will be able to begin debate on the bill. Back over to you. The expectation, though, Elon, is that this step is going to pass, which will pave the way for that it, final vote. It, it, it is at this point. I mean, anything can happen here as we're watching the vote tally come in. But one of the concerns with uh, the vote being somewhat delayed was that Republicans maybe didn't have the votes to even begin this part of the process. The fact that they have called the vote does seem to suggest that they have the votes uh, to actually see this through. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in D.C. So yet another a milestone. We're sort of on track here, progressing right along for the timetable to be met. And it's something we've talked about, though, for a while. I mean, I've thought for a long time, and I'm no political theorist, but I thought they were going to ram something through by the end of the year. And to me, it looks more and more like that might be the case. And one giveaway for me, and I'm not trying to read into too much, but the president tweeted out, I think, yesterday or two days ago, uh, Chuck and Nancy didn't show up to our meeting. I'm yesterday. paraphrasing. But at the end of the tweet, he said, I don't see a deal here. And to me, that's code for... I'm going to get a deal done because then he can go back and say, the great deal maker that I am, look what I was able to do for the people before Christmas. Here's your Christmas present. So, again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I still think something gets done. What, what's interesting about this is we talked about this yesterday. You know, you have Bob Corker, you got Susan Collins, you have people that have come on board that were very outspoken and, and really... At the start of the week, we didn't think they were going to fall in line. The sausage that's being made here, and ultimately, there had to be some concessions to these folks. There has to yeah. be. And they've said, I want to wait and see what they are. So the bills that we've seen, not sure that's how they come out. All right. Still ahead. Chip stocks getting crushed today, posting their worst session since June. But did any of our traders buy this dip? We will find out. Plus, Pete is bringing the heat, getting ready to pitch one beaten down stock that he is calling a screaming buy into the end of the year. We've got the name when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an instant replay. Almost exactly two months ago, Pete said to Just Buy Nike. Ready for this move back to the upside. I don't think it's going to explode. I think it's going to be like Microsoft. I think it just continues to start to grind a little bit higher. They're moving online and they're killing it online right now. So they're growing in the right spots. Pete was right. The stock did grow in just the right spot. Shares have rallied 15% since then. So, Pete, nice. what do you think about Nike now? Uh, still holding on to it, and part of the reason was I like where their growth was coming from because we already know that they have huge competition with Adidas in North America, so we know there's going to be some weakness there. But are they growing enough internationally? And I'll say that they are, when, especially when I look at all the various emerging markets, specifically in China, up 9%. You start to look across the rest, mostly about 5% across Europe and Latin America. 
They've got growth where they need it. Online is where everybody's moving, and they've got deals with Amazon. I mean, I think that they're doing the right thing in attacking the e-commerce world the way they have. All right, well, Pete, you've been on fire, so why don't you give us another home run cool. idea? Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm going back to my great state of Minnesota once again. And mm. who am I going to go with? Target. There's a lot of different reasons why I like Target. If you go back and you look at the earnings, I got into this stock in the middle 50s, and the reason I got that opportunity was after earnings, they sold this stock off, and I thought they sold it off for the wrong reason. So here is why I still like this stock, even though it moved up significantly today. It's over $60. I think it might have got over 61 Great management. Brian Cornell, this guy's outstanding. He has a laser focus on where they need to go. Now, they're behind Walmart right now, but they're going to be starting to catch up with Walmart. And as they do, I think that's why this company really, under his leadership, they're focused on the right areas. Look at the strong fundamentals. This trades at a 12 PE presently. They've got earnings right now. They're given a dividend yield of over 4%. And when you look at the stock buybacks, they've actually shrunken their, their share count by 270 million shares so far. And they continue to grow that dividend for the last multiple decades. So that side of it. And where's their growth? Well, their growth is online, 24% last quarter. And when you look across at other areas, they're working within the stores themselves in electronics as well as Magnolia. Magnolia, guy probably knows this, but that's a, that's a little company that's out of, you know, I think it's on uh, HD, HGTV where they actually are the ones that are inside their stores showing what they've got and actually adding to it the store within a store for Target right now. For all those reasons, I like Target. I think it's too cheap. I think it gets somewhere up towards that 15% or 15 PE range, which is going to lift that stock up a little, little bit even better. You can see where it's kind of been holding down in here. It almost hit those levels before when it pulled back. We didn't have to hit those levels, but you're starting to see a little bit of a perk right now. I like what we're seeing. I think this stock's going to get up towards 70 once again. Hey, Pete, it's BK. Yeah. Uh, First-time caller, long-time listener. Love your work. Got a question on this target, though. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's concerned about the grocery business, right? right? That it's going to be a drag on earnings. They're not going to be able to turn it around. You have Amazon as competition now. How does that play into your thesis? Why aren't you worried about it? They've got to do a much better job. Now, I'm going to be critical right now about my own stock. They actually have to do a much better job in the e-commerce world than they have so far. They're way behind Walmart. I think they can catch up. Right now, I'll give you one example. When you go to their online site, they have about 800 different items you can buy. When you go to Walmart, they have the entire store. That's where they need to make this up. They've got to improve on the online site. As they do that, they'll get a little bit better in the grocery. But I'm not as worried about that, Brian, because quite frankly, that is a very, very low margin area. The rest of it, they have strong margins right now. And that's because where they're getting their margins is outside of the grocery side. And that's what I like as well. So, Pete, on margins, though, from the, from the labor side, I am concerned because as this company looked back on Q4 last year, part of the, the weakness was because the in-store experience wasn't so good. They've right. gone out of their way this year to get the stores better stocked, better staffed. Labor costs are going higher. This is, this is a major headwind for the whole sector. They, they will be higher, Tim, but I think those are investments they have to make. They've got to make the experience something like, why do people come into the store? And Brian Cornell was talking about the fact that people still want to come in these stores. As much as everybody wants to push, it's all online. It's not all online. They have 30 million visitors each week, I believe is what he was saying. So they've got people still coming into the bricks and mortar side of this. But e-commerce, we all know that's where it's growing. So they've got to compete better. If they compete better, this stock is actually a 70, maybe even 80, an $80 stock, I think. All right. So let's vote. Buying or selling Pete's pitch for Target. Gee. 
I'm going to say in, in, in English we say yes, in French we say we, oui, in Spanish we say si, and you were sitting here Italian? on July 13th. How about Italian? Yes. Yeah. Si. That's what we say, si what as well. July 13th, then. look it's what they said. And, you know, I, I was surprised about that November, I think it was the 15th or so when they reported earnings and stocks traded okay. 55. It was all on the back of fourth quarter guidance. I think they were sandbagging a little bit. Valuation is compelling. We've said it for a while. I think target goes higher, so yes. BK? Uh, well, for me, I actually agree with Pete. Cool. And I think hey. he's spot on on this one. Wow. I mean, this is the one you want to buy. I was in Walmart earlier this year. I think Target has the same type of opportunity. Tim? Look, um, I don't hate Target. I certainly don't hate Pete, but I'm, I'm neutral on this stock. Stock's done nothing for the last year. I think they're headwinds for the whole sector. I am neutral. That equals no. All right. Two buys, Sorry. one sell here on That's the desk. But was Pete's pitch for Target a bullseye for you out there? Head to Twitter right now. You can vote in our poll. We'll, we will reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, media stock sizzling as deal chatter heats up in the space. We'll hear what the Viacom CEO just said about media consolidation. Much more Fast Money right after this. Uh, on this particular case, the Department of Justice chose to, to file the suit. And, uh, and so we see absolutely nothing in this case that is anti-competitive, lawfully uh, anti-competitive. And so as a result, looking at the facts of the case, we feel like we have a darn good case. And we feel like this is one worth taking and pursuing into the courts. That was AT&T CEO Randall Stevenson earlier today with CNBC's Becky Quick discussing the DOJ suit against its merger with Time Warner. Now, media M&A has been a hot topic of late. For more, let's get to Julia Borson at the Business Insider Ignition Conference here in New York City, where she's been sitting down with industry heavyweights all day. Hi, Julia. Melissa, everyone here has been talking about what media deal will come next on the heels of Fox's entertainment assets drawing interest from both Disney as well as Comcast, as well as the DOJ suing to shut down AT&T's acquisition of Time Warner. I spoke to Viacom CEO Bob Backish. He said he was surprised by the DOJ suit and he will be watching its outcome. He did deflect my questions about whether Viacom needs to recombine with its sister CBS. We might do a small acquisition here or there. For example, but one of the last things I did in International was acquire Telefe, the number one broadcaster in Argentina. We closed on that deal in, I think, November of last year. That was a fantastic deal for us. So we will look for, for things that are incremental to our strategy and can accelerate it. But again, I feel very good about the assets we own. I also spoke with Discovery CEO David Zaslav. He predicted we'll see more vertical deals like the AT&T Time Warner one between content distributors and creators, saying he sees the distributors looking to acquire more product to make them really different. More and more they need great content to differentiate. But does that mean that you'd be interested in selling to one of them? No, but I think it means it's possible. I mean, you know, that's possible. But what's more likely is we, we, the reason that we bought Eurosport, the reason that we bought the Olympics, the reason we're buying, the reason we're buying scripts is all that content we own on every platform. Lachlan Murdoch also spoke here at Business Insider Ignition today. He dodged questions about whether he's interested in selling parts of Fox. He did, though, say that subscale businesses in the media landscape, not including Fox, will need to merge 
to compete. So, Melissa, the one consensus here is that we will see more deals. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Um, it was interesting to hear David Zasloff speaking about the kinds of deals a la an AT&T yeah. order, which would imply he believes that the deal is going to go through. Well, I mean, just, you know, this is where the industry is. They're going mm -hmm. vertical. And, and it's just, you know, it seems to me, uh, I think Mr. Stevenson outlined a very, you know, good point. And even at the expense of saying, hey, DirecTV needs some help and that we're competing against 100 million subs plus in Netflix, et cetera. Um, AT&T, by the way, got down to 33. That's a level. It's a five-year level on the stock with or without Time Warner. That was an interesting place to buy. I think you stay in this stock. Uh, favorite media stock. Would you rather? With a deal <laughs> and without a deal. Is it a different stock? Huh. Favorite media. Huh. Well, right now, given where we are, I think Discovery Communications, you saw Mr. Zad. Look at the valuation on side trades at eight times forward earnings, huge short interest. That stock potentially could be in play. So that one for the bait, I think, gets the, you done. But Viacom okay. is still cheap without on a deal, its own. Yeah. Deal on on its own. own. Backish. All right. Same question you to you. Well, I own Disney, so that's going to be All my right. answer. And the reason okay. I would say that on top of that is I, I like the idea that at least Bob Iger's still kicking the tires around the place. Looking at Fox, looking at other things. When you look at Pixar and you look at Marvel and some of the franchises that they own, I still think this is a company that goes higher. Still ahead, chip stocks getting slammed today, and traders are betting on even more pain. For one name in the space, we'll give you those details. Plus, our very own BK, Brian Kelly, is about to do something that no man has done before on cable television. Oh. How's that for a tease? <laughs> See what he's got in store when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Recently, the hype around Bitcoin has skyrocketed, but many people still don't even know how to buy it. So we thought it would not be, it would be only not, only not only educational, but also fun, I should say, yes. for our very own BK to walk us through the exact steps in a live trade. So BK is over at the Plasma. He's all set up. Mm. Take us through step by step. How do you do it, BK? All right. Well, here we are. We're, we're live at the Plasma. I have my Coinbase account, one of my Coinbase's account right up here, so you can kind of see the dashboard that you have. I've talked about this a million times. It's really easy to use. So here you have the prices of, of Bitcoin all around there. You can see I have a little bit of Ethereum. I have a little less Bitcoin in there. So let's go and let's do a live trade on this. So I'm just going to click up here on the buy and sell button. You can see it comes up. I can buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, or I can sell that amount. And so I can either sell some Bitcoin, I can sell some Litecoin, I can sell some Ethereum. And so what am I going to do today? What are you going to do, BK? Buy it, BK. Uh, buy it, BK. Sell it, BK. You know what? Buy, I'm, sell, buy, sell. I'm going to be consistent with what I did for myself today and what I did with my fund today. And I'm going to take a little bit off the table. Oh. Oh. I think, listen, I think it's probably time. So I have a small amount in here. And I did a small amount just because I wanted to show everybody, you don't have to buy one Bitcoin. I have $66 worth of Bitcoin in here. I've loaded it up. It goes to my bank account here. Wow, you're right. All I have to do is I click on here and say, I want to take my Bitcoin and I want to sell it. I want to sell the maximum amount that I have, which is $66 worth. Boom. There's the live trade. I'm selling that. I'm going to confirm my sell. And I'm going to get my money on Tuesday. Oh, the sell failed. Oh. Uh -oh. oh. Maybe I should be buying it. Maybe that's the, the Bitcoin guy's telling me to buy it. You know what? Let's do it that. Let's Whoa. see if we can do it that way. All right. Sound like it's real. So that's you know what? Pivot. Let's do, I'm going to buy $100 worth of Bitcoin. People are telling me, what are they saying here? We don't support amounts smaller than a dollar. Well, that's $100. There you go. 
All right, there we go. Okay, so now I can buy $100 worth of Bitcoin. Boom, they're gonna take it out of my bank account. I'm gonna confirm my buy. And I purchased it successfully. So the Bitcoin gods want me to buy it. It looks like it's going higher. That's how you do it, easy breezy. Wait, so let me get this straight. This is Coinbase, correct? This is co the Coinbase app. The, uh, the, the system that has had outages, basically, difficulties all day long. Yes. You wanted to sell, but you couldn't sell. But you could buy. Wasn't you that buy. you weren't using the right denomination, though? I bet you, it seemed like you were just going with the wrong size. You were, you were too small. Maybe, right? Well, no, I mean, let's, let's, I mean, we can certainly try it again, but I, I mean, I, they, they've been having issues all day, so, yeah. you know, I, I think it was probably just a, a glitch in the system. All right, well, that's how you do it, easy breezy. Wow. Very slimming piece. That was smooth. Speaking of the Bitcoin boom, our very own Dan Nathan is in Scottsdale, Arizona at a Credit Suisse tech conference. He says there's been a lot of buzz around Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Hey, Dan. There's been a ton of buzz. Hey, Mel. Hey, guys. Um, hey, just to be fair, Mel, you know, I was trying to trade some tech stocks earlier today from my Fidelity account and was not able to transact on many different periods. So it was one of those high volume days. I think, you know, a lot of systems got inundated just to give Coinbase a little break there. Um, but listen, you know, this conference, there's about 100 C-level executives from publicly traded tech companies, and there's hundreds and hundreds of institutional investors, uh, hedge funds, mutual funds, big money people. Nobody was particularly panicked. Everybody is talking about Bitcoin, but more about why didn't they buy more in their personal account and their Coinbase account six months ago, that sort of thing. So it's really dominating that talk, much like back in the 90s where institutional investors were trading a lot of stuff, PA, personal account. Um, yeah, so just real quickly today, you know, I saw the CFO of NVIDIA speak. She was talking about crypto, had a question about it. They are not um, putting a whole heck of a lot of crypto. Yeah, well, they're not putting a lot of tr uh, faith in crypto going forward. So today, just an AMD, also a name associated with this. There was some put buying. Call volume was two times that of puts. There was a buyer at 2000 of the July 10 puts paying a buck. All right, thanks a lot, Dan. Were you buying or selling Pete's pitch? The results of the poll Ooh. right after this. Ooh. Well, Pete, they're selling your pitch on target. That's Tony okay. Braxton, yeah. go. That's all right. Happy final birthday trade. to my mother, 89 years old today. Credit Swiss is my final trade. Tim. Any day with Tony's a good day. Nike going higher. BK. You know, I still love the Bitcoin, but I think it's time to take a little off the table. Tenant Healthcare. Mad Money's next. <laughs> What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.